Welcome to CT Startup, an inside perspective on the startup ecosystem in the great state of Connecticut. My name is Dave Menard from Martha Kalina. Eric Francis from Fresh Farm Aquaponics. Michael Kaufman, Mobile Interactive. Check us out on ctstartup.com, iTunes, Stitcher. Please leave your feedback and give us your give us your reviews. And please, please share us on social media with your friends and let us know let people know that we're out there. Uh, today we have Adam Lazar from Asarasi. Adam, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. So tell us about Asarasi. Yeah, well, you know, it, it's a product that we harvest from, from maple trees. It's a water product, and we claim to fame is that we're harvesting a renewable and sustainable form of water uh, for the world's, to solve the world's water crisis one bottle at a time. That is tremendous. <laughs> you know, I think one of the what I'm afraid of is what people are going to remember from this show is us burping into the mics because we all have Asarasi <laughs> seltzer water in front of us. Yeah. So, so we. That's funny, sad. I mean, what we've done with this product is move closer to the mic. Is really, um, you know, created a product that was a byproduct, a, a waste stream from the maple industry that nobody ever identified was, you know, a pure biological form of water. And as crazy as it sounds, it says, we took a look at it and said, hey, you know, there's a lot of people out there that need water, and we're removing, you know, 97% water from in volume. Uh, 600 million gallons of this go wasted annually in the industry. And if we even bottle up a fraction of that and replace people's hearts and minds with a consumer-friendly, eco-friendly, sustainable, renewable product that replaced this groundwater resource, uh, we would have something, and, and here we are today. I think this product is absolutely tremendous. I was shocked when you and I first met and you were telling me about the product. The idea of not taking water from ground aquifers, which is a huge issue right now. I mean, and it's all over the news with, with Nestle taking water from uh, to make bottled water from aquifers in California, which has been going through droughts for many years. And they're defending their practice, saying, oh, nobody has a right to water. Isn't that what you saw, yeah, Eric? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, <clears throat> and here you are, and you've got a resource that is renewable, and it doesn't deplete ground aquifers. Uh, it's not, it's not reconstituted tap water. It's not, right, right. you know, it, it's, and it, it tastes great. It's seltzer or unseltzered. It, it's, it's just great water and, and it's fully renewable. I just think that I, just tremendous. Yeah. Thanks. You, you, this is a brainchild of mine. I was, uh, you know, from 2008, you know, everybody has been a entrepreneur at some point in their life. Everybody. Oh, I've got a great idea until you find out that. 800 other people had the same great yeah, idea, yeah. right? But then you stumble across something that you say, holy cow, this is unbelievable. I can't believe that nobody in this entire industry for hundreds of years has identified that this is an opportunity. And what happened was I was at a maple producer's farm in Vermont in 2008, and I saw this large producer dumping thousands of gallons an hour, not, not in a day, but an hour, uh, from these reverse osmosis machines that have recently come into the industry to process maple saps for syrup. So when you take 50 gallons of sap out of a tree, you have to remove about 49 gallons of water to get it down to oh. a consistency of syrup. Most people think syrup just kind of yeah, flows out of the tree, <laughs> which is as far from the truth as could possibly be, but uh, that's most people's perception of it. And, and so what we've done is we said, listen, let's take that other 49 gallons, uh, you know, put it in a consumer... Uh, friendly packaging that is sustainable, you know, glass bottle is totally recyclable infinitely, 
uh, bring it to the marketplace at the price parity of a regular bottle of sparkling water so that we people can make a choice based on conscience versus wallet. And, and that was, and everybody in, the, in that chain get, had, can make a su- sustainable margin, mm-hmm. uh, which allows everybody to make the money that they need to make. Farmers make a 50% improvement on their gross profit of their existing maple crop, which is a huge lift to the farmer. And, uh, and all the way through that chain, well, we can bring a bottle of water in a four-pack to retail at $1.49 a bottle. So you're getting, you're getting sustainable water. The farmer is getting... A, a monetary benefit from what they considered a waste product. That's right. I mean, and this is just great up and down the chain. Now, was it? Was it? Were you on uh, like a like a vacation, like a trip when you went up to Vermont, or would I mean, did you have this in your idea or in your head before then, or was it just literally you're on there with your, you and your family being like, oh my god, this is like yeah, prior to 2008, I thought syrup humanities. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I was one of those people too, right? And, and I, I thought onion rings were a seafood until a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> so I'm I'm really curious about the process because I I really don't know anything, and I in all honesty I did think syrup essentially came out of trees like sap almost. Um, can you just explain the process of like how? The maple syrup actually comes from the tree and how you end up getting water out of that. Absolutely. So uh, the farmers will tap trees without harming the trees. It's actually a very healthy process for the tree, just to clarify that. There's, there's no harm done to trees. Uh, and what we do is they, they put a small tap into the tree, uh, and out comes sap during the seasonal time frame, which is around you know late January through late March. So we have about an eight-week production window. And those saps are drawn through a tube system, so they connect the tube system to the tree. It's not, you know, hand-carried buckets and horse and cart anymore. That's, that's kind of your <coughs> grandfather's way of doing things. Um, some people still do it that way, but it's, it's a hobby. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and they enjoy a laborious hobby. But, uh, you know, and then these saps get basically sh- suctioned out of the tree. And about 6% of all the sap that's in the tree gets taken out. So it's, it's almost like, hmm. you know, you know, don't giving blood, blood. yeah, kind exactly. Of. It improves the, the tree's growth. It improves carbohydrate regeneration and, and sugar regeneration. So it's actually a healthy process for the tree and improves its fertility cycle. Um, and from there, that sap goes down to a, a, a collection tank into a reverse osmosis piece of equipment. You're probably familiar with that from your home, mm-hmm. where a lot of people have reverse osmosis in their home. This is kind of the reverse of the reverse. And why I say that is, let's say in your home you're going to run crappy tap water into reverse osmosis to clean out the bad particulates through filtration, right? And then for every 20 gallons you push through this reverse osmosis at home, you get one gallon of really clear, pure water, and you basically waste 19 other gallons. Most people don't know that that's much waste out of that little container under your sink, but that's what's happening. So it's been a very wasteful process. So in the maple producing industry, what they do is they shove all these maple saps through a several-stage filtration system. The, the sugar molecule is a different size than the water molecule. And so what is diverted as waste in a normal reverse osmosis process is actually a biologically pure water on one side of the machine and sugar molecules on the other side. Huh. Those sugar molecules are further processed by a very small amount of a, you know, distillation evaporation process by boiling to just get it down to its you know, consistency for syrup. And, and, that's, and that's done very, very quickly. Um, but the waste process on that, so it's one gallon, 50 gallons of sap produces one gallon of syrup and 49 gallons of this pure water product. So it's almost like we're, we're harvesting saps for water and the byproduct is sugar. Which is, <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's an interesting perspective. You're absolutely correct, yeah. Right. And, they ju- and they just 
drained off this water into leach fields, or that's right. Yeah. So this water today is, is it says a wasted byproduct, which is unfortunate because it's got such great value in the marketplace. Um, and, and what they do is they push it down a leach field system, and it just evaporates off the topsoil for the most part. This water won't go back into your deep ground uh, aquifers or replenish water table. It's just it's just lost forever. So if you don't tap the tree, this is a, this is a crazy statistic that I. I was blown away by this. You're, every one of us probably has a maple tree in their yard yeah. at some point or still does. That one maple tree, an average you know, 45 meter tall maple tree, will transpire about 400,000 gallons of water through its crown annually. So one what? tree. We live in a deciduous rainforest, right? And that's what we live in, let's face it. And there's that much water in every single tree from the moisture of the roots in an average sunny 12 hour day that those trees will transpire that much water through one tree. That's amazing. How, how many? How much? You're talking about 400,000 gallons a year. So when you think about <laughs> transpiration, maple maple is one of the most is the highest transpiration rates of all plants out there. And so when you start looking at that volume, you know, if you put a plastic bag around a bush at your home oh, yeah, at night yeah. and in the morning, you'd yeah. have moisture do, collected. Yeah. You'd have water in the bottom of that bag. It's a survival technique they, they, you can learn in, in yeah. survival school. It's the same thing. It's just that during these period of time, this February to April window, these trees produce a huge volume of saps, which is easy to collect by putting a small hole in the tree. But also that by putting a small hole in the tree, you discourage loggers from cutting down that tree because it scars the board feet all the way up that tree mm-hmm. through the life cycle of that tree, which is not very desirable for loggers. So if the tree's ever been tapped, they typically don't want that one as much as they want the one that hasn't been. So really? there's a lot of different impacts, a lot of different, you know. People used to tell, call me crazy, like, you want to quit a six-figure income and go get water out of your eye. <laughs> I mean, no joke. I, I, people told me no, that was, that's, that's I, right. I used to look right. effing crazy. And, uh, and I did just drop the first half. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just drop the And I looked at it and I was like, yeah, but, you know, sometimes the... the, the Biggest visionaries have to be a little crazy to want to go out there well, and do the, something. You, that you knew you were on the right track when people were like, dude, really? Really? You're going to go do this? And you're like, yeah. Well, you know how much water's in these things? I'm, I'm still stuck on the whole deciduous rainforest. I'm like the Northeast. I, I don't. I just don't think. I just don't think of the Northeast as a as a, as a rainforest yeah, environment. It sounds techni- technically correct. It's a mid latitude deciduous rainforest, and that's not something I made up. That's a textbook term. That, well, no, no. I'm starting. I'm starting to believe it because because Mike certainly has monkey heritage. So we have. Damn. There are some good burns on the other one. You should, you should have heard it. Literally, I'm yeah. going to need to put aloe on afterwards because the sunburn is insane. Dave's not going to massage you. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, where are maple trees actually, geographically, where are they found? Yeah, you, you can find maple trees. You can, tre- you can plant a maple tree anywhere as long as there's water and sunshine to supply nutrients, right? And, and um, you know, but frankly, where this product can be produced in the only place in the world, we have something really amazing here in the Northeast. Mm-hmm. So it's basically from as far uh, west as Minnesota, as far east as Maine, south to Tennessee, believe it or not, and north to about Quebec. Oh. Um, so that's a, about an 800-mile radius from, say, the center of uh, the center of New York. And are there, are there any other tree species that... There, there is an opportunity to do something like this. Absolutely. Any sap-producing, voluminous sap-producing tree, you can do this with. So if we said we want to solve, you know, we want to collect waters from these other trees, 
the challenge will be cost. And so in, unless you're tapping birch or maple, which they both have syrup industries based around them, jams and, and you know, uh, uh, other syrup type products, sugar, sugar, uh, mm -hmm. candies, that sort of thing. Unless there's a buy, unless there that process is already happening, you would be going exclusively in for the water product, and that wouldn't be cost effective because it's a byproduct. Right. It makes it more uh, tenable to do it. The interesting part, though, is that only three percent of all accessible maple. I'm not talking about maple sitting on the top of a mountain in Adirondacks. Yeah, yeah, which you just can't feasibly get to. But three percent of all accessible maple are tapped. So put that number in your head for a second and say, well, they're. Yeah. They're harvesting about 12 million gallons worth of maple syrup today across the entire industry. And then put that number around your head and say, you know what, if there's a major shortfall in the maple market and it's about a 25% shortfall every single year, can we make up that difference and tap that many more? Or provide new opportunities for people that want to get into farming mm -hmm. to become farmers. It's attractive for them to come do this because now they're making more significantly more money on a crop that... Maybe they wanted to get into, didn't. It adds value to other folks that um, you know may have the ability to do it now, but aren't doing it. So th there's a lot of different impacts between farming, agricultural, economic development, you know, uh, water conservation, sustainable forestry. Mm -hmm. uh, hey, talk about timing. Uh, I mean, just that you know, cl climate change, drought, uh, worldwide drought, access to clean water, such a huge issue these days. It, it, it is, and, and I think people. If I, if I did this five years ago, I don't think people would be as nearly as focused. And so the market timing is absolutely everything. Um, I was living in California as of a year ago, working for a company out there, and I still I still do work for them on uh, you know on, on a full time basis. So this is not the only thing I do right now, um, which is always challenging, of course. But um, you know, living in California, you're very aware. Of, of water. I mean, people are being water shamed for having a leaky sprinkler system or having a sprinkler system at all. Water shaming wasn't even a term that was coined until three years ago from you know, test person. But, um, you know, looking around at this, you know, the reservoirs in the state of California are down to on average about 15, 12, 15 percent of their normal levels. And, and people. <laughs> People walk around with that attitude that's like, oh, it rained. We're all good now. <laughs> uh, no, no, not really. It's going to take years if it ever recovers. Yeah. And so what are we doing? Yeah. People are just in absolute denial. I mean, when you got, what is it, California's buying a good portion of water from Texas for a while there, and uh, Texas was charging outrageous rates. I just remember, you know, seeing the news articles and, and going over it. Uh, and here you have an excellent idea for a company and one that uh, at the same time also shows people a path forward to, to think about things in a different way they hadn't before. Yeah, I think I still wake up every morning and how the hell did I get in the water business? Like, <laughs> I, mean, I say that every day when I come and have to record with these guys. When did it turn into a business? Yeah. Well said. Yeah. <laughs> the requirement is not to make money, by the way. You could, you could be a, a unprofitable. Yeah. You're, you're, you're just a concern, not a going concern. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so you've been at this uh, just about over a year? Uh, well, I, you know, as soon as I saw that at the Maple Farmer, uh, I went home and I literally wrote a business plan. You know, so motivated, like just so inspired by this opportunity yep. that I realized no one had ever picked up on before. Or if they had, they just weren't successful in their own way of approaching. Yeah, it's the execution. That's the big thing, you know? It is. And, and you know, I, I, still look, I still refer back to that original plan I wrote in 2008. Um, 
uh, you know, it's, it was one of the things that I looked at and I thought, how the hell am I going to get water from a tree mm-hmm. to the marketplace? A, safely, B, cost-effectively and efficiently, and, and C, telling the world about a product that they, you'd have to spend an inordinate amount of time educating people. Yeah. And um, what I realized was that it was really no different than the milk industry. You know, it's you got all these thousands of farms out there, you know, milking cows and trying to bring a perishable product to the market. And this, this thankfully isn't a perishable product. So. It also sounds like the the amount of labor that needs to go into this is is, is minimal, right? Yeah, yeah, we we basically <coughs> the farmers are already producing this product, maple syrup, and they're at the same location that they're producing maple syrup. They're discarding this byproduct, mm-hmm. and so we. Roll up a you know a food grade hauler. They fill the back of the truck every couple. We can fill a truck a eight thousand gallon tanker in an hour and a half. That wow. And uh, we literally roll it away to the bottling plant sixty miles north of that producer. And uh, so the minimal carbon footprint on the, just the transportation side. It's bottled up within hours of being taken out of the trees. The bottles you're drinking here today are. Uh, I think we piled that up about eight weeks ago, and that was put in the bottle within an hour of being taken out of the trees. Right. I, I, so, so you gave me my first bottle today, and I don't know why. Maybe you guys as well, but like when I took my first sip, I was like, "Oh, I, I almost expected there to be like a hint of maple or yeah. something." But <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, it's just well, and that's why we call it true water because what right. we don't want to do is influence a consumer thinking there's maple in this right. product because there is no maple sugar. It's sugar-free, it's fat-free, calorie-free, as you would expect water to be. Yeah, and and. <laughs> You know, and so what I don't want to do is, is get into these fancy. Oh, it's GMO free. It's you know, yeah. it is a natural product, and this is the, this, this is the really crazy idea. Which we will certify the world's first USDA organic bottle of water. And you say, well, wait a minute, is it all water organic? No, it's all geologic by nature, but you can't prove its source. Water comes from a variety of different ways into <laughs> into a natural but, state. But, and here we are saying, hey, I can take this product. This is, like, this is an orchard product, right? It comes from the forest. And yeah, now right, I can prove yeah. the source of this product. This is a sugar-free maple sap, a.k.a. pure water. Because technically the tree is like a filter, too. It's like filtering the water. It's, it's coming through the roots. Like, I could just, you know, I'm just kind of imagining almost like a, an avatar-like with, with, like, all the water just, you know, going up through the... The tree to the, to the, the, the though to be clear, Asarasi's water does not glow in the dark. No, it doesn't. That, that's kind of what <laughs> in my head. I was like, I'm maybe there is an opportunity to genetically modify the trees. We put a mild carbonation in the product uh, for customer experience. Mm-hmm. Um, a champagne size bubble. Uh, we want people to. A lot of people hate the aggressive nature of of you know, seltzers and other sparkling waters. We also want people to, um, you know, to really enjoy a product that they may not have considered. So we get a lot of comment and feedback from people that say, you know, I don't drink sparkling water, but I really like this mm-hmm. uh, because it's different. I think, I think also its source puts a different perspective in people's minds. Uh, and, and frankly, that market growing at 34% a year, year over year, is, is pretty phenomenal. You know, the sparkling category from 2009 to 2015 grew at 56%. Really? Yeah. I, I believe it. I switched. I, I mean, I was a big soda drinker for years and years and years. And about a year and a half ago, I, I switched to seltzer. Now it's all I drink. Um, I, you know, and I was, I did it for my health, but I really, you know, I, I, now I really like seltzer water. And, and frankly, you know, all water tastes a little bit different, right? It's just, you know, I don't care how they certify it. Water has a taste to it. it does. Um, and, 
and you know when you the idea of drinking the true asarasi by the way has a, has a great taste to it and it's uh it, but it's it's you know it's much better than say like dasani right oh. which is which is basically yeah which is tap water that's Dasani's gone through terrible. a reverse osmosis process and 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 it's awful uh but you know i mean this is certainly uh you know, equal to or better than spring water, and it's in taste, and it's great. I just, I, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm laughing <laughs> because I was I was coming back from uh, from uh, Vermont la- two weeks ago, and I saw this guy on the side of the road with a <laughs> with a bucket of water, and he was just like, or, or a gallon of water, and he was filling it up. And so I was driving up, I was driving up to the campground, and I was like, you know what? I'm pretty sure that was a spring. You know, I think I think that was a spring. So on the way back, my girlfriend and I we stopped. So I get out of the car with a gallon of water, right? And I go to the spring, which is, I mean, it looked gross. It looked gross. It was on the side of a highway, and there's a sign that just oh, said, it just said the, sign of the, the side of the highway just said, just said, uh, the state of Vermont cannot guarantee, like, this water or something like that. But there was three people in front of me that were filling it up. And so I filled it up, and it, the water was great. <laughs> like, yeah. I was just like... <laughs> you know, there's... Well, you don't know what's going on up top of the mountain. Yeah, well, that's what right? I'm saying. Right. Somebody the keyed on it, yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and uh, oh, I don't know, the all the different um, chemical products that the yeah. highway is spread oh, yeah. onto the uh, the road for, for, you know, ice control. Truckers pulling over to yeah, take yeah. ads on the oh, side. No, no, no. I mean, I, mean, I ha- it was one of those things where after I saw the sign, I was like, I still have to do it. I, I still have to do it. Stop. I, I, I just, don't know why I, you think about truckers taking baths. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got a sick mind, dude. That's a... Uh, is that what was the term you used earlier, Mike? Is that part of your wank bank? Yeah. Oh, jeez, jeez. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I would say, beside Asarasi, the the most impactful, I guess, water experience I've ever had was I took a helicopter to the top of a glacier in Alaska, and we drank the water right from there, and that was just unbelievable experience. And I think you know that's that opened my eyes, and first off, it tasted unbelievable. But I think you know what you're doing is. It's amazing. It really is. Yeah, thank you. You know, it's, I think people, once they understand that this isn't about another product that's trying to bullshit you out of, yeah. you, you know, $4 in your wallet, and you say, listen, what we're trying to accomplish here is is more than just profit. You know, if we focus on those things that we've talked about, you know, agricultural, economic opportunity, um, water conservation and sustainable forestry and, and all these other great things, recyclable packaging. We focus on the great things about the product and we sell it at a good price. People will have no reason to not make the switch. You know, if we put this on the shelf next to a, a Perrier or Pellegrino or other products, we will naturally cannibalize those sales significantly as a result of its placement there just simply because it's a unique enough story. Mm-hmm. Um, one of our first hires, uh, Brian Perez, is our chief marketing officer, and I asked him, he spent, you know, 15 years plus with Pepsi in their innovation group bringing to market one coconut water and Sobe Life Water, which you're all familiar with, I'm mm-hmm. sure. And I asked him before we joined the company, I said, why do you want to join the company? What, what's the impetus for you in your mind? He says, listen, I've spent my career crafting this story for beverages that are predominantly sugar water. Yeah. I mean, right, and, and other than coconut water, which again is a byproduct of the, the, the co- coconut industry, um, which again has similar veins to what we're doing, um, with a terrible taste. Probably. 
can't, you can't chug it down. Like it doesn't. It's just. No, I can't see it. Yeah. Anyway, so that was just natural. Just so, so we just took a stand on this podcast against yeah. coconut water. I just want to point out. Like, it's like light. You're like. So for those people out there though who have complained about us not taking stands on things, we do not like coconut water. Hell no to coconut water. Make a T-shirt to placate that. Tree water, not coconut water. Red slashed. No, but what I asked him is, he said, you know, this is the first product I've ever worked with that the product is the story, right? And so that you don't have to make up some nefarious baloney to convince someone to buy your product. And we, I get asked this question all the time, and it's the most ridiculous question I get asked, but. I can understand why people are asking it. They've been educated this way for the last 20 years by the beverage industry. What's the nutritional benefit of your product? Go three days without water and tell me how you feel. <laughs> you know, I mean, I say that facetiously, but I mean, in all reality, it's sarcastically, but in all reality, that that's it, what it is about. There's no nutritional platform you can stand on. There's you know, no polyphenols and you know, amino acids and all those wonderful things that, that you know, you'd still have to drink. 18,000 pounds of crushed blueberry juice to get, you know, any significant health benefit from it derived. Nobody wants to tell you that story either. Yeah. They just want to talk about these invisible things that no one can see but have to believe they're in there. And, uh, you know, so let's not stand on that. I, I like to call it bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> that, that platform of just marketing geek speak. And let's yep. be honest and, and truthful with our customers and, and, and show them we've got a great product that, that can replace their bad decisions. Yeah, and and it's it's like you're as a business, you're almost taking like kind of like a permaculture kind of like stance to it because it's like you're integrating everything that's already happening. You're not, you're, I mean, you're just taking wastewater. It's, again, it's it's like the way I look at it. Like when I first uh, saw it, it's like you're taking wastewater that's nobody else thought it was like even drinkable. I mean, I don't know that these guys like the the maple guys thought about it, but I mean, most of these guys probably were just throwing it away and didn't even think about it. You know, no, they throw it away because yeah, there wasn't a way to monetize it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. There's no, there's no money. It's a completely different set of infrastructure that you would require to process that product versus maple, and, and so you know, post, yeah. you know, processing in the syrup. So you need a, you know, rotary bottling equipment. You need all sorts of different ways to control and contain and process and, and certify you know, water products. And you know, we spent a lot of time. You know, arguing with with uh, political uh, and governmental agencies that were, well, it's not water, but it is water, but it isn't. And, you know, we couldn't get any agency to agree because, you know, the FDA is like, it's a maple byproduct. Well, yeah. And the DOH is like, well, it's not water. The Department of Ag and Markets is like, but it's water. <laughs> and, like, you couldn't get anybody really? to agree. So it took me about a year and a half just to get people aligned to say, you know, this is what we're doing. And so what we did was we partnered with Cornell. Uh, university's Food Science Innovation Pro, uh, uh, I guess it's an agency over in in, uh, uh, in New York, and we said you know, it's just a, uh, basically the affiliation of the Food Science Program at Cornell. And we said, listen, we need your help creating the establishment, the standards of identity, the you know the processing methods, and these are the methods that we think we should go through to process this safely and effectively for consumers. Do you agree? And, and normally in food processing, they take a look and they say, here's your HACCP plan or your hazard analysis and control process procedures. Um, it's a pretty simple one level layer of review. Uh, we had to go through three or four levels of review with Cornell through the top echelons of their food science food chain because people just, they weren't, they weren't aware of this. It, it was just as new to them as it was to us. 
And so, uh, here we are successful today, um, you know, putting water in the bottle, which God knows nobody knew how hard this would have been. Uh, <laughs> but convincing other people like, you know, bottlers, truckers, people that have millions of dollars invested in equipment to put an unknown product into their system, I had a lot of people say no. Yeah, I'm curious, what were some of those, what were some of the biggest roadblocks getting you to where you are now? Oh, well, everything from capital to getting people aligned to say yes. I mean, mm -hmm. if, if I quit at the 13th, no, I still wouldn't be here. You know, it's like, it, it, it took a lot of tenacity just to say, this can be done. A lot of convincing and, you know, a lot of storytelling and, and getting people to buy into the idea. Because once they believe the idea, you know, the whole... Uh, the whole idea in Hollywood, if you buy the premise, you'll buy the bit, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's so, it, it's the same point as you know, if you buy the premise that, hey, this can do this, and you show this great picture of what you can do, and people become believers and ambassadors very quickly. Mm -hmm. And I'm finding that everywhere we go. You tell people this great story about, hey, you know what? What if? What if we could replace every single bottle of water sold in the United States with this product at price parity? Mm -hmm. And could we solve a bit of the United States drought problem with that mindset? Could we could we solve it greater? Could we do it for the world? I don't know, but we gotta start somewhere. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now, could you imagine this going into like at my house? I have like the five gallon you know jug of water that I'm just going through constantly. Now, could this you know not obviously now, but later on, do you do you envision that kind of a of a play where you'll be able to like deliver to homes? Because again, I could probably crush down you know a bunch of these you know during the day. You know. I I would I would hate to say that I could compete in that space successfully just because the, it's a it's a large yeah, unknown. Sure. Um, you're dealing, you know, are we going to get every bottled water manufacturer to stop doing that product? But what we can do is is make an impact um, at, at the consumer level at the shelf, mm -hmm. right? So, and that comes from from awareness. And so once the once you have that awareness built. And people are out there saying demanding a different source of product. Uh, we suddenly have um, people in the industry f being forced to change, mm -hmm. and, and forced change is, is probably the best change that can happen because if you were to leave it just for the sake of change on its own, it would never happen. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, you know, one of the things that we look at is is okay if we've invented, I say invented loosely, but if we've marketed the world's first organic bottle of water. Could we influence the organics industry to decertify or declassify folks that are using inorganic waters, hmm. right? And and build a business case for you know what those baby formulas that you're saying are organic that are used that are made 80 percent of water from an unknown source. How true is that anymore? Can we influence uh, the, the organic product space in such a way that it creates broader awareness? And I think we can. Uh, you know, everything from frozen treats to soups and nutraceuticals and uh, beer. Huh, that's uh, interesting. You know, wasteful processes that currently are utilizing you know, lots of water as waste. And can we replace that? I don't know. And we definitely take a stand for beer. Yes. On this yes, podcast. Yes, yes. Pro yes. beer. Yeah. Certainly yeah, pro beer. Definitely pro beer. We need those shirts too. <laughs> so uh, distribution right now. Where where can where can people find where can people find this? Uh, and also who's actually are you self distributing? Have you partnered? And what's that process been like? Is I, I had a beverage company when I was in college, and it was, you know, distribution was the hardest thing. Those guys are the gatekeepers, and uh, a lot of the time they actually want matching marketing budgets, and it's it's difficult for a for a startup. It is absolutely difficult, and and, and you know, if our first year of business was me running a seeding sample, thousand case, you know, pilot production, mm -hmm. 
just to evaluate the consumer marketplace, but also seed the, the distribution opportunities at the same time. And yeah, it took about a year, year and a half, and we're just coming into our own now in terms of distribution. Um, it's just coming online. So uh, working with some grocery distributors here in the state that have access to about a thousand different grocery store accounts. Um, we, you know, we partnered with um, uh, Bazudos out of Cheshire to do that, and they're all independent <coughs> grocers, so we're not fighting the animals of the of the uh, the Krogers or the uh, you know the Safeways that, you know of the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not trying to get placement in two thousand stores at one time, mm -hmm. uh, but we're we're able to hit a thousand points of distribution just from that one distributor. Um, so if you want to find our product, you can go to osirasi.com/shop, uh, and you'll find a, a Google pin map where you can look and scroll in your area, predominantly Connecticut, New York, uh, Pennsylvania is where you can find our products, about 100 store locations and, and more are coming online daily. Uh, it's about my ability to update that map every single day because we literally just this week had another two dozen uh, university accounts pick up the product. Um, so, you know, brand awareness on those college campuses with people that have like-minded, eco-sensitive kind of uh, thinking, uh, you know, from... Uh, you know, Cisco Food Service here in, in Connecticut, uh, as well as Pittsburgh, has been uh, carrying the product this year. And over the last, let's say, 75 days, we've, we've opened up about 80 new stores. New That's great. Wow. Carrying the product and selling successfully. So. Now, did you, did you say early in the podcast that... Uh, you can replace every single bottle of water that's sold now with water from tree sap. That's right. Yeah. No, you, you, it's, it's incredible. It's crazy. Because yeah. you're going off that, it was what, 3%, you said? Only yeah. 3%? Only, only 3%. This is an estimate from the New York State Department of Environmental Conservation. Um, and then, of course, I look at the, the, the uh, tree surveys done by the USDA and the U.S. Forest Service. Hey, you wouldn't know it, but here in Connecticut, we have uh, somewhere, somewhere around the average 760 million tappable maple trees. We've got Connecticut State is the least producing state in the entire uh, country, or the entire Northeast when it comes to maple. I think we made some well, Sounds like Connecticut. Have <laughs> resources, just don't tap them. <laughs> <laughs> Untapped resources, yes. Untapped resources. It's, it's incredible to me. So that's just the state of Connecticut. There's you know, multiplied by 50. So, Mike, how many monkeys is that? I'm just... I will have to say is that, uh, so the first time I tried uh, uh, Asarasi was at um, the Impact Awards when, when you had, like, the booth and everything. And, uh, and uh, what was that, in October or something? And honestly, I can only equate it to like the the scene in uh, Forrest Gump where he has all the uh, the Dr. Peppers, where he's just chugging the Dr. Peppers. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I could, and like when you'd walk away, I'd grab another one. I'd be like, <laughs> like just, I was like down enough. Yeah, and, uh, we, uh, <laughs> we, do, we do quote Forrest Gump a lot because it is the stupid is as stupid does. It's kind of the model of of impact and change, right? It's yeah. we've been doing things stupidly in our world in a lot of ways in a lot of industries mm -hmm. for a long time and and, and so this I, I, I think I'm glad you brought it up this is as stupid as as stupid does it's just identifying things that are right there in front of our face that you because you don't see it happening doesn't mm -hmm. isn't happening and, and I guess that goes for everything from your garbage to you know to your car that you know the pollution is occurring you just don't see it so therefore you don't even think about it yeah. um, the transpiration out of trees you know 400,000 gallons a year out of your tree I mean it's you know it's it's crazy. Yeah. I, I think another thing that I really like what you're doing, or I should say what you're not doing, is a lot of these beverage companies launch and they do, you know, 30 different product lines at the same time, you know, a caffeinated one, a non-caffeinated one, 30 different flavors. 
you know, I, I like how you're just, you're getting the product out there, getting the story out there and growing, you know, responsibly. Yeah, thanks. This is, this is obviously, you know, you could parlay into uh, hundreds of different flavors. Mm-hmm. Most of them, we, we do have a, a line extension plan that we're working on right sure. now to, you know, if you think about it, there's a lot of flavors that come from trees. Mm-hmm. You know, chicken, mm-hmm. orange, you know, any citrus, you know, pomegranate, maybe whatever. And, you know, at the end of the day, we can, we can extend this out 14 different ways without even trying hard. Um, you know, my goal for that plan later on is, is just to create a healthy organic beverage product that will align with more of that flavored sparkling water business, but yet, um, you know, not be a soda. You know, when you look at like the, the, the cans of Pellegrino, you look on the back and you see 40 grams of sugar, yeah. it's a soda. <clears throat> You know. 40 yeah. grams of sugar is unbelievable. It's, 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 it's stuff. And it's, it varies from can to can yeah. to can, but yeah, they taste good because you have 40 grams of sugar in there. So, yeah. so, so, so I've been hooked on the, uh, for, you know, when I switched to Seltzer, I've been hooked on like uh, the orange. Uh, uh, Poland Springs, right? But it's but it's not sugar. It's like orange oils, you know. So it's just got like a the hint of flavor from the tree yeah. or whatever from the fruit. I think it would be interesting um, to uh, you know. It, it's just fascinating to see what different trees taste like in this water, you know, like with the. Yeah, well, I, I you know I honestly don't know. I mean, I can pull birch saps out. I could probably do um, you know some alder and some other things. But you know, there's other things that we can use with you know grapevines. I mean. You can tap huh? you can tap grape grapevines for um, their water, and it's been a kind of a, an elixir of sorts for the old timers that were growing grapes. You know, you drink you drink uh, you drink grape water, so you cut open a grapevine in the summertime, it'll just sit there and gush, gush, gush. So it's there's a lot of really cool resources that have water properties to it, but this one happens to be available in most volume, and so when we go to do flavors, it'll be the still same maple base. Mm-hmm byproduct permeate water but then you know looking at other organic sweeteners um, mm-hmm. uh, or uh, you know just different uh, ingredients that can create different experience with the same product uh, the next stage for us now is, is packaging types this product has a, a tremendous appeal to children that we can't get children to drink enough water uh, water let's face it I don't drink enough water and I make <laughs> I have a water company. <laughs> yeah, I'm constantly drinking, but it's still not enough, according to the doctor. You know? And and one of the things if you can t- tell a child, well, this this is true water. Love it because it's it puts it in their mind. It's, it's a story that is is so fantastic for, for their mind to get around that that's what they want to drink. It's like oh cool. Well, some kids are like, well, it's not soda, so I don't want it. But the other kids that haven't grown up on soda products, which is more and more these days, uh, so pa- packaging types like. You know, twelve ounce aluminum cans that are the skinny, the skinny yeah, yeah, yeah. package cans, great for kids, um, and it can go places that we can't go today with glass, like aquariums or uh, you know, institutional sales, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So, even on beaches and stuff like that. I mean, absolutely, and, and even further from there is you know a seven fifty milliliter bottle, uh, you know, for the for the white tablecloth type of service yeah. at restaurants. So we got a lot of different product iterations but again still focusing on the one product that you suggested it's not flavored products it's yeah it's mm-hmm. line extensions of the existing yeah and, you know it, it, there's i mean that's definitely kind of the the way the product line goes out but you know from the beginning a lot of people just you know they start a they start a beverage company allocate so much cash toward you know different product lines rather than actually marketing and responsibly getting it out there 
So, so what's kind of what's on the agenda for the next, or I should say, what's on the radar for the next twelve months? Well, yeah, there's all. Well, if I we be another here in a couple hours, but uh, I think for the foreseeable future, we have we have enough water to haul this over. <laughs> <laughs> we have uh, uh, we've been accepted as a finalist in the Mass Challenge. So over the next four months, from now to November, uh, we'll be working out, uh, uh, you know, with those folks and to accelerate the product and the sales and the distribution and, and the marketing behind it. Um, the, you know, towards the end of the year, I want to try out a process where um, maple farmers traditionally haven't tapped trees in the fall, and the reason for that is the sugar content is much lower in the fall season, but you get the same natural, you know, cold days, or cold nights and warm days that encourage the tree saps to flow, so we can actually pay farmers a premium to go back into the woods at that time and, and tap those trees again, um, and they should be able to make a, a significant profit. So we're going to be doing that. Um, we have, uh, I don't know, just a, an incredible amount of stuff on the, on, you know, in the pipeline between distribution through groceries, so we're focusing on a big push in grocery uh, starting in August. Um, you know, being able to support those many different retailers in so many different environments is challenging. So, there, there must be so many um, non-profit opportunities out there as well for you know channel partners and other partnerships. Uh, there are. Um, you know, I think that's a big conversation to have with folks like Arbor Day Foundation hmm. and uh, you know, um, the Natural Resources Defense Fund or something like that. You know, you exactly. You know, being able to. You know, that's one of the reasons we wanted to be part of the, the Reset <laughs> Impact Challenge here in, in Hartford. Is, is you know, Reset's been fantastic for us getting this exposure. Um, putting our you know, putting us out there, but you know, really, just all those impacts are so important to the world to share. That you know, when you're with a, with someone like Reset, they give you a lot of credibility. That helped us move the ball down the field to get into same match challenge. It's helping us propel down the field to get attention of some distributors um, and, and investment dollars coming into the company from that perspective. So it's all about. It's interesting is that these these impact accelerators are not just about how much impact that they're making on society or the economy or the, the ecology, uh, but it's also about the impact on the business. And I think a lot of times we tend to forget about the fact that impact doesn't just mean, you know, societal ecological mm -hmm. uh, impact. It's about how can we propel this business forward and do great business and excellent things for the environment as well. And I, I don't think that, uh, not that we're easily bought off here at the podcast. I mean, just because you brought some water doesn't mean we we're going to sell it. <laughs> but we are easily bought off here at the podcast. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> now, I, I, I mean, I think the reaction on the table is, is the same reaction that, that I had initially, which is just that this is a fantastic idea. It's doing good stuff in a good way. Um, it's, it's, easy to support from a, from a business argument as well as an impact argument. And, uh, and, you know, I, I, I think it's safe to say that we want to stay in touch. We want to know what's going on in the future and have you back on. I'd love to. I think it's been a great opportunity. Thanks for having me here. So be before we let you go, one question we, we usually like to ask is if you could pass on a message to other entrepreneurs, someone that was where you were five years ago, sure. what would you do or say? I, I, I've said this a, I guess I've said this a lot, um, and that is, don't ever accept the answer of no from somebody who doesn't have the authority to say yes, and just keep pushing the paradigm 
of oh, what yeah. you believe down the field. Um, you know, most oftentimes people close the door on themselves because they asked the wrong person. You know, they walked through the front door, they didn't network, they didn't talk to enough people, they didn't get enough unbiased feedback, they didn't, you know. Uh, and, and I think one of the things is like, be willing to be willing to put yourself out there at significant risk. I gotta tell you, I had to sign a, a very large check to even try to do this project before I'd ever even tasted this product. You know, I mean, so you have to take, don't be afraid to take risks, you know, if you're, you know, if you're able to recover from that, just put yourself out there and you'd be amazed. That's great. Actually, uh, you know your your statement about uh, don't take no for a person who doesn't have the ability to say yes. I don't think we've ever heard anything like that. No, no and, and I like that because it makes yes. a lot of sense. Because there's a lot of a lot of people that um, they they get the no from the person below the person that can say yes, and then they never you know it's it's almost kind of like what Peter Diamandis says in in, uh, in his last book. He's just like just go to the top. Just the the one person that can say yes. Don't worry about anybody below them. Go right to the top. Well, and, and, and figure it out. And it's there. always easier to say no than it is to say yes. And that's what people are, you know, it's, people are going to say yeah. no more often. And you have to get past that. It's like, what, 13 no's before you say yes or something? And sometimes like that. The, the, the key stakeholder isn't the top of the food chain. Yeah. You know, oftentimes that's, those, that's you know, the, the top of the food chain, the, those CEOs, most of the time they're busy raising capital. Even if you're a $300 million organization, mm-hmm. you're still out there. <laughs> You know, looking at ways to improve operational efficiency. You're looking at these greater yeah. kind of metrics that you know everything from top line revenue to bottom line, you know, margins and and people tend to think that well, this is the decision maker I need to reach. But you know, don't be look for the key decision makers in the organizations that can influence your outcome. Mm-hmm. And they don't have to be here at the very top, but they can be, you know, at the VP level or above. You know, those people have just as much authority to make the decision and move forward as a CEO. Yeah, that's a good point. Great. Well, how can people uh, learn more about Asarasi or, you know, get in contact? Absolutely. Um, uh, So, Asarasi.com, A-S-A-R-A-S-I, which is uh, really, really simple to to put into the the browser. The... um, and we kind of have our story up there. We have a video up there that just tells about the story. You can see somewhat of the processing there. Um, we have um, some opportunities. I won't say the names of the reality TV shows because uh, confidentially I can't. Uh, but we have some opportunities with two different reality TV shows coming up um, that I think the nation will start to hear more about our project. Nice. Um, in, in, a, in a national and likely global way. Um, so kind of stay tuned for some of those updates as they come out of the... Hollywood pipeline, and then um, you know if, if if they want to reach out and have questions, um, info at asarasiwater.com. I'd be happy. I always reply. Uh, doesn't matter what time or day it is. If I get an email, I'll reply to it. So uh, you know, any questions you guys have, just send them on my way. Fantastic. And Eric, again, if you want to come at us, uh, ctstartup.com. Uh, you can get us at uh, iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher. Um, where else? Where else? SoundCloud to get us there, CT Startup. And, then, and don't forget to follow us at Osterosity yes. Water on Twitter, Facebook, mm-hmm. uh, social media. And we'll have all of those links in the uh, show notes. 
Great. If you still want Eric to cut off his man bun, uh, <laughs> leave that as a comment in <laughs> the show notes. Yeah. And we'll raffle that off. We'll raffle that one off. Um, Someone could buy the rights to actually cut off the uh, the band bun. They want to pay me to cut my hair off. That's fine. Lots of love. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hey, wow. there it is. We, we could sell bracelets. Ooh, uh, <laughs> made of the hair? Ew. <laughs> your, your head is an impact business. It is. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was going for. I'm going to resource. I didn't want to tell people what's my new business. All right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very good <laughs> Thanks Thank for you so much. Yeah, for being thanks, on Adam. This is awesome. This is great. Thanks for having me, guys. <laughs>You've just listened to the CT Startup Podcast. You can find us on iTunes or check out our webpage at ctstartup.com where you can find all our social media links. And please, please leave us your feedback. Special thanks to our production team, Kate Rupart, Dylan Gilliatt, and Kevin Dobis, as well as our equipment and marketing sponsor, Murtha Kalina, LLP.